Hello and welcome to Encouraging Others in Loving Jesus. I'm your host, Kim Smith. This is episode 159, Choose Not to Run Headlong into Danger. I don't know about you, but I'm not one of those people that sees a sign that says danger ahead and I run as fast as I can to get in the middle of it. But I know that there are some people, their personalities just navigate toward danger. I am recording this at the end of March in 2022. And recently, the Winter Olympics finished up. And in the Winter Olympics, you have varying degrees of danger in the different sports. Some of them, the danger is just about none. But the physical danger. But in some of them, the, let's say, ski jumping, where they are flying way up in the air, like there's danger everywhere. There are some people who thrive on that. And God made us all unique. Go back and read Psalm 139 and just note that God knit you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so God made some of us to run to danger. But we've got to be careful to realize when it's God's voice saying chase the lion, as we talked about last week using Mark Batterson's book title of Chase the Lion. We've got to know when it's God's voice and and it's his purpose and plan. And maybe we are running headlong to danger But it's danger that is under the umbrella of God is telling you to run into that pit versus the, I want to push the limits just because. As I was preparing for this particular lesson, I was thinking about the danger signs that we see. Some people, like they don't even want to go near a danger sign. They see it. They're not going to go anywhere near it. And then you've got those who either will go right up to the edge or they will just take out the danger sign. So our personalities are different, but God intentionally puts danger signs in our paths to guide us. Sometimes it is literally a neon flashing light keeping us out of trouble. But other times it is the still small voice of the Holy Spirit saying, don't walk that way. Don't look at whatever it may be. So this week, We are going to continue in our study of 2 Samuel. We're in 2 Samuel 2, 12 through 32. And this week, we're really not going to talk about David. So, I mean, we'll get back to David. But in this segment, what you've got is David, after the death of Saul, David has been named the king of Judah. And Ishbosheth, one of Saul's sons, has been named the king of Israel. And that's important that you have that context in here. And so Abner is the head of the army of the northern section, which is Israel. And so let's jump into this. It's 2 Samuel 2, 12 through 32. 
The first part, I'm just going to read through just to put us in context. We're not going to go into depth as to what they're talking about in this. It's just kind of setting the stage for the very unique story contained in 18 through 32. So one day Abner, so Abner is the commanding officer of Ishbosheth's, that's the Israelite troops. So he led Ishbosheth's troops from Mahanaim to Gibeon. About the same time, Joab, son of Zeruiah, led David's troops out and met them at the pool of Gibeon. So let's set this stage. What you've got going on here is you've got the, what is considered the northern kingdom, that being Israel, versus the southern kingdom, which is Judah. These are all God's people. But at this point, they were not united. Saul has died, and we've got a fracture in the people of Israel. And so the two groups that are brothers, that are cousins, they're just in the midst of a civil war. It says the two groups sat down there facing each other from opposite sides of the pool. Then Abner suggested to Joab, let's have a few of our warriors fight hand to hand here in front of us. All right, Joab agreed. So 12 men were chosen to fight from each side, 12 men of Benjamin, representing Ishbosheth, son of Saul, and 12 representing David. Each one grabbed his opponent by the hair and thrust his sword into the other side so that all of them died. So this place at Gibeon has been known ever since as the Field of Swords. A fierce battle followed that day, and Abner and the men of Israel were defeated by the forces of David. This was kind of uh, more than likely included in God's word because this was a foretaste of what was going to come. David is going to be the future king of all Israel united. That That's going to happen. And you're just kind of seeing just a little glimpse of what that's going to look like. But then we have this most unusual narrative in 18 through 32. And what we're going to see is a young man named Asahel. And we are going to see that he has pretty much flashing neon signs saying, don't go this way. And what happens when it is danger and not danger sanctioned by God with purpose? No, it's just danger for danger's sake. So Joab, Abishai, and Asahel, the three sons of Zeruiah, and that's important. So this is Joab. So Joab is the commander of David's army. Remember, Abner is the commander of the Israelite army. The three sons of Zeruiah were among David's forces that day. Asahel could run like a gazelle and he began chasing Abner. So Abner, he is the commander of the other army. He's the commander of the Israelite army. So young Asahel, for whatever reason, just maybe just because he knew he could run fast, he starts chasing the commander of the other army. He pursued him relentlessly, not stopping for anything. When Abner looked back and saw him coming, he called out, Is that you, Asahel? Yes, it is, he replied. Go fight someone else, Abner warned. Take on one of the younger men and strip him of his weapons. But Asahel kept right on chasing Abner. Again, Abner shouted to him, Get away from here. I don't want to kill you. How could I ever face your brother Joab again? But Asahel refused to turn back. 
So Abner thrust the butt end of his spear through Asahel's stomach, and the spear came out through his back. He stumbled to the ground and died there, and everyone who came by that spot stopped and stood there when they saw Asahel lying there. When Joab, which was Asahel's brother, when Joab and Abishai found out what had happened, they set out after Abner. Like, we're starting... I mean, we already have a civil war going on, and now we've got this infighting between the commander of the tribe of Judah, commander of that army versus, like, personally versus the commander of the army of Israel. So when they found out what had happened, they set out after Abner. The sun was just going down as they arrived at the hill of Amma near Gia along the road to the wilderness of Gibeon. Abner's troops from the tribe of Benjamin regrouped there at the top of the hill to take a stand. Abner shouted down to Joab, Must we always be killing each other? Don't you realize that bitterness is the only result? When when will you call off your men from chasing their Israelite brothers? Then Joab said, God only knows what would have happened if you hadn't spoken, for we would have chased you all night if necessary. So Joab blew the ram's horn and his men stopped chasing the troops of Israel. All that night, Abner and his men retreated through the Jordan Valley. They crossed the Jordan River, traveling all through the morning and didn't stop until they arrived at Mahanim. Meanwhile, Joab and his men also returned home. When Joab counted his casualties, he discovered that only 19 were missing in addition to Asahel, but 360 of Abner's men had been killed all from the tribe of Benjamin. Joab and his men took Asahel's body to Bethlehem and buried him there in the father's tomb. Then they traveled all night and reached Hebron at daybreak. So do know that this is going to come back up again. It will. It will. You don't kill somebody's brother and it not come back up again. So what have we seen from young Asahel? Like Abner tells him, he tells him repeatedly don't come this way. Go, go pick on somebody else. Go like Abner is trying his best not to cause a bigger rift between the tribe of Judah and the Israelites, as well as he has no beef against this young man, but the young man has that pent about him where he is running headlong into danger. I want you to stop before we look at the story that is in total contrast. I want you to think, how often have you been like young Asahel? How often have you known like you have had danger signs all around, but you've continued to walk straight or run straight into the danger zone? I mean, the first thing that automatically comes up to me are relationships. How many times have you had red flags? Maybe it was red flags directly from the person where like you almost saw red flags going up over their head as they spoke. Or maybe it's that everybody you know and trust says this person will not be good for you but you did it anyway. Now this happens in other things besides male-female relationships, but the obvious, the obvious category happens there because with those type of relationships, 
so many times our emotions get the best of us and we're not thinking clearly. And if you really are trusting God and you really want to seek him with all your heart, he's going to give you warning signs. He's not going to, number one, he doesn't tempt anybody. Number two, he's going to put up barriers. He's going to do just like Abner did with Asahel. And he's going to like, don't come this way. Don't go this way. But are you listening? And if you're listening, are you obeying? So our weekly assignment feature, just so we can go ahead and just put this on the table, in which area of your life are you most tempted to run headlong into danger? I would love to get some emails from you this week or comment in the Encouraging Others in Loving Jesus Facebook group. I would love to hear some of the danger points, some of those areas where you have this strong temptation. It may be alcohol. I remember I was privileged to work in a homeless ministry. It was a homeless ministry and a rehab addiction recovery place. And I met this guy. I would talk to him. I would lead worship and I would get to talk to him quite often. And one time he and I were talking and it was this incredibly profound conversation for me. Because he and I were talking about his life and here he is living in a homeless shelter. And he was an alcoholic. And he was, he really did from his heart of hearts want to be clean. But he was talking to me about he takes would take the bus to go, to go to work and to come back from work. And he said there was a struggle that happened with him each and every day. He had, I'm sure he had more than two choices, but he had two main choices of which stop to get off of in order to get to this center. One stop would lead him directly to the center and would not walk him past Temptation Alley. The other stop would walk him right past the flashing neon danger sign. And he had fallen so many times. Now, that seems like a simple decision. Choose life over death. But we all know it's not simple. He had an addiction. He had mental cravings, emotional cravings, and physical cravings. Was it impossible to overcome? No, it wasn't. I mean, he was able to tell me if I get off at this stop, you know, pretty much it was a hundred percent that he was not going to fall into that temptation. If I get off at the other stop, it's not good. It's not good. So think about in what area of your life are you most tempted to run headlong into danger? And again, danger being not danger where God is saying, I want you to storm the gates of hell. I'm talking danger that is not from God, but it is Satan himself seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. So while I was walking this evening, God laid on my heart a story that is in definite contrast to young Asahel. It's still a young man. His name is Joseph. So there are two Josephs specifically that have leading roles in the Bible. The most famous would be the 
stepfather of Jesus. Well, I guess you wouldn't say stepfather, but he raised Jesus. He wasn't the biological father, but he raised him. And the other is Joseph from the Old Testament. Joseph in the Old Testament is one of my two favorite characters in all the Old Testament. The other one being Joshua. And so I started thinking about Joseph. So Joseph had been through so very much and he he hadn't made the wisest decisions as a teenager. He was spoiled rotten by his daddy and his brothers hated him and he was he was sold into slavery. So long before anybody was talking about labor trafficking, human trafficking, Joseph was a victim of it and he was sold into slavery by his own brothers. And so this is Genesis 39, 1 through 18. It says, when Joseph was taken to Egypt by Ishmaelite trailers, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was the captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So Joseph was more than likely a teenager at this time. He He's the one with the coat of many colors. And, I mean, he's young. He's just been dropped into a cistern. Like, he's got some adversity going on, and then he is taken, sold, taken, and ends up in a really high position in the fact that he is in the house of the captain of the guard of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So, like, he goes from the the cistern all the way to way up on the totem pole as a young man. So verse two says, the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, The Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Joseph was very handsome and a well-built young man. And we're going to stop right there. So Joseph has gone from his daddy's house where he was the favored child to being thrown in a cistern, left for dead, then turned around. His dad thinks he's dead and and grieves over him. He is sold to these Ishmaelite traders and taken into Egypt. And then he is placed in a major role in Egypt. And he does well. God blesses him because he is doing what he's supposed to do. And then the plot twist happens. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around 
when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by the cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. When she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left this cloak behind with me. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story, that Hebrew slave you've brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. So if you know anything about the rest of the story, for a season of time, Joseph ends up in trouble for doing the right thing. But in God's eyes, he is not in trouble in any way because Joseph did the right thing. So in this story, as opposed to the one of Asahel and Abner, did you see just absolute flashing lights that says danger ahead? I mean, you didn't have Potiphar's wife saying, don't come near me, don't come near me, just the exact opposite. But we don't have to have flashing neon lights, signs, in order to know that something just isn't right. If we're willing to look, if we are willing to obey, I think that's at least a good portion of the problem. Joseph was receptive. Joseph was already following the Lord. And as he followed the Lord, the Lord had been blessing him. Well, in my opinion, it appears to me that he blessed him with an internal set of warning signs. Joseph knew this is not going to end well. I am going to do what is right by my boss. I am going to leave his wife alone no matter what advances she tries. As opposed to Asahel, who Abner saying, stay away, don't come this way. And Asahel just keeps coming, running headlong into danger. Joseph, Asahel, two young men, more than likely two young men of promise. But one ended his life dying at the the hand of Abner, Abner who did not want to kill him. And then we've got Joseph. And yes, Joseph does get in trouble for something he, he did not do. But if you go ahead to the end of the book, you will see how God took even what was intended for evil and turned it for good. And and used even this in Joseph's life to, to grow his character and to prepare him for the history-changing role that he held in the nation of Israel. So which are you more like? Are you more like Asahel and you see the warning signs? Your friends are telling you, stay away from people you trust, God's word, like everywhere. You are hearing and seeing, stay away. Do not go down that road. But you keep going. 
Or are you more like Joseph? And you are training yourself to hear God's still small voice saying, don't send that text. Don't even engage in that conflict. And you heed that still small voice. God doesn't promise us that he's going to give us warning signs with bolts of lightning. He shouldn't need to. We should be so attentive to his voice that we will, number one, listen for his instruction and guidance, and number two, obey. I'm trying to trying to step back for just a moment and, and just think in my own life. You know, it, it can be more subtle. Like, these are two very strong examples, but, I mean, it can be in interpersonal relationships. It can be that person who pushes your buttons. You know, I, I think about a, a family member and, and how they they were really good at pushing my buttons. And, and I struggled with that for so long. And I, I won't say that I ever perfected how I responded to them, but I got much better at responding versus reacting. And there were warning signs. There were definitely red flags going, just stop there. Don't, don't open your mouth. Don't give attitude. But I didn't always listen. We all have those special situations that are more tempting than others. And what tempts you may not tempt me, but it doesn't make it any less or greater. It makes it any kind of avenue that Satan can use to get you off course, away from what we talked about last week, your purpose in this life. So I ask that you pray and say, God, what is it? Which area of my life am I most tempted to run headlong into danger? Ask him, what what danger signs have you placed in front of me? Give me the wisdom and the courage to walk away, to not go down that road. So thank you so very much for joining me this week. We will continue our study in 2 Samuel next week. And I just want to, I just want to stop and just, just thank you for tuning in. You know, I'm sitting here this time on a Sunday night and I am running on fumes. Not because of bad decisions, but because of good decisions. But they have led my body to be very tired at this point. But I am trusting that God is going to use even my lesser physical strength and stamina because in my weakness, he shows his strength. This could possibly be the most listened to podcast episode of encouraging others and loving Jesus ever. I don't know. But I do know that you're listening. And that was worth sitting here 
and focusing and sharing God's word. Because if it changes just you, it's worth it. So, until next week, remember it's always a trust and obey kind of day. <music>